Turn your Bibles, if you would, with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be there uh, this morning. Uh, If you are joining us this morning for the first time, or or maybe it's the second time, or you've maybe been a while, I've been preaching uh, through the Gospel of John since January uh, 1st. We were in the seventh chapter. And then in the fall months, we typically will take a... Uh, a few weeks and preach a series, what I call a vision series. And that vision series started four weeks ago when I preached a message entitled Intentional Relationships out of Romans chapter 12. And I literally have watched uh, God continue to grow uh, our Sunday schools, our small groups, our, our classes. Matter of fact, I, I was driving in Wednesday night from uh, flying in from Illinois and I got here uh, almost uh, right at seven, and as I was coming in from uh, the the other campus from my office, I looked up here, and it looked like a Sunday morning with all the cars in their different groups and different uh, classes. And I'm very thankful for that. And of course, the Lord uh, has blessed uh, abundantly. And then, uh, then we, uh, of course, the second week preached on Christ-centered. Biblical preaching. What is Christ-centered biblical preaching? And that's what we are, and that's who we are, and that's what we do. We practice Christ-centered biblical preaching. And then the third thing, of course, was uh, spirit-filled worship. What is spirit-filled worship? And that's what we do. And last week, what a great service that was. If you're with us for the very first time last week, you're like, wow, that's amazing. And so it was, it was great, and we're thankful. We sung a lot, we worshiped a lot, and I'm very thankful. Today, I want to preach a message on this, loving and leading the next generation. Loving and leading the next generation. A book called God Spare the Girls was written by a young lady by the name of Kelsey McKinney. It's a sad story, really, of of two young ladies who... uh, Got a journey. It's kind of a novel. It starts out in a megachurch pastor's family. And uh, anyway, this pastor had been caught in some scandal or whatever. And so these, these two girls uh, who had been grow, grew up in a church, and, and uh, good churches, they even speak uh, highly of the churches that they grew up in, uh, begin to deconstruct their faith. They begin to examine why they believe what they believe. And they started picking pieces of the foundational truths that had been laid. And they began to deconstruct their faith. If you read that book, it's a sad story. This girl, matter of fact, she's interviewed on a podcast, the girl who writes, and she talks about her own experiences in in the church, and no doubt she has been hurt, and no doubt she uh, has, uh, and I hurt for her because of some of the things that she seen and witnessed. And uh, But listen, I cannot deconstruct what I did not construct. I did not deconstruct, I can't deconstruct my faith because I did not construct my faith. The Lord Jesus constructed my faith. Amen? I can't deconstruct that, but I understand what they're saying. They began to to analyze. Matter of fact, in the first service this morning, after the first service, there was a young man who told me his story. And he said, Preacher, twice in my life, there's been instances in my life where I've almost went from from the faith and went to a paganistic, uh, almost atheism. 
because of, of situations, and it wasn't situations like, uh, like uh, you know, uh, uh, personal things. She, he said that I was just reading the Bible, and there were some things that didn't make sense, and so I began to question some of these things. And before you know it, he was questioning his very faith. And you know, that happens, but at the same time, uh, we as a church should love and lead the next generation. It's important that we lay these foundational doctrines that we strongly believe and why we must teach them to the next generation. For instance, creation. We ought to go back to Genesis and Genesis chapter 1 and teach a fundamental truth that God stepped out on nothing and spoke to existence where we are today. The world. It didn't just happen. It didn't just evolve. It didn't billions of years ago. It wasn't all these things, what they call uh, evolution. Listen, Jesus Christ was there, according to John, or, or according to uh, John 1 1. And also, God was there in Genesis 1 1 when he said, Let there be light, and there was light. It's important that we teach creation. Hey, it's another thing we, it's important that we teach the institution of the home. The institution, these are foundational truths that we should teach. For instance, God gave three institutions. He gave us the home, He gave government, and He gave the church. We should teach what the home looks like. God created male and God created female, and they love one another. They leave their parents, they cleave to one another. Hey, and that's how our children came to be. I'm not going to teach them what the world says. I'm not going to say that there's a bunch of binary stuff out here in confusion. There's no such thing as that. That's called confusion. We should teach what the Bible says, that, that males are supposed to be with females and vice versa. If you're visiting today and you look at me like, wow, right off the top. Well, it's going to get better. I promise you that. Institution of the home. Hey, how about this? We need to teach our children about sin. The damage that sin can do. And by the way, all of us have the sin nature. We need to teach our children. That's what the, You don't sit there and uh, wink at their sin or, or, or uh, put a blind eye at that sin. We should, be, we should teach them on what sin can do and show them that there is redemption. Redemption in the power of the blood. Listen, we sung about the power of the blood. Then there's uh, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. We should teach our children that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. It was not that he was an illegitimate child. It was not that it was something uh, that Mary tried to hide, a scandal between Joseph and Mary. No, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Can I say this? We ought to teach our children about the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You ought to teach your children that Jesus came to this earth sinless. He lived 33 and a half years, died on a cross, was buried, and three days later, up from the grave he arose. He was not in a coma. He was not in a swoon. He did die, but then he did come to life. And by the way, he lives evermore. He's on the right hand of the Father. So we, these are foundational truths that we should teach our children. There's other foundational truths. These are things that are of the utmost importance to our church. 
these young ladies that I referred to, her name's Kelsey McKinney, these ladies are trying to deconstruct a foundational truth that has been set by God. We cannot deconstruct that. I do believe these ladies, as I said earlier, I believe they were hurt by church leaders and I truly hurt for them because they, they had their faith or their eyes set on men. Let me just say, men are sinners at best. Now we have a high standard for our leadership at Bible Baptist. We do. I expect a good moral decency out of our leaders. Amen. You ought to be in private what you are in public. I believe that you ought to be a man of character or a woman of character. I believe you ought to have integrity about you. I believe you ought to be honest. I believe you ought to just be a good Christian. We have a high standard, but you know what? Often when a man falls or when sin comes or when things happen, uh, people that have their eyes on men tend to fall with them and disappoint. And listen, that's only natural. But who in this room has not been disappointed by man? If you've been a member of a church any length of time, there's something that you've seen in somebody that you're disappointed with. If you're around me a good while, it'll take a good while. But if you're around me any length, listen, you'll find something. You'll say, man, you know what? I don't know. I just don't. I thought he was better than that. Why? Because I'm sinful. It's my flesh. I'm sinful. And listen, we must not get our eyes on leaders and eyes on men, but let's not take advantage of that. Us leaders, we should be above the bar without reproach. We ought to be honest. We ought to be upright. We ought to be sincere because here it is. If we're going to lead the next generation, that's the way it's going to have to be. That's the way it's going to have to be. In Judges chapter 2, you don't have to turn over there, but can I read you some sad verses in Judges chapter 2? We're going through Judges in our Wednesday night, my Wednesday night class. And I want to just read to you some verses on why Judges is such a crazy book. Why there's so much... Uh, They did right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel. They constantly just tried the Lord. And it was just a mess. Can I just read to you... After Joshua, here's what happened. Joshua was that great leader in Israel. In verse number 6 of Judges 2, it says, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders outlived that outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnaheth, and in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. Now notice verse 10. And also all the generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there rose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. So Joshua dies. Joshua, of course, knew God. They had seen the miracles that Joshua had really captured from Moses. And Joshua had led them into victory. Joshua had done a lot of the miracles that even Moses had seen. And Joshua was a great leader, a great captain, a great army warrior. And Joshua knew God. 
But the Bible says when Joshua died, and many of the people around Joshua knew God, but the next generation that came after Joshua knew not the Lord. And my prayer is this. There's been a lot of, when I grew up, there was a lot of uh, messages and a lot of men that got up and said, three to thrive, three to thrive, in order to, to be successful Christian, and be a, we ought to come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we ought to do these things, three to thrive. Hey, but let me tell you something. While many of us were trying to do three to thrive, we have a generation that walked away from God. Because it requires more than you just coming into church and bringing your kids and saying, okay, church, raise my kids. Three to thrive. Listen, we should try to love and lead this next generation. Today there will be several hundred uh, young people on our campuses today uh, from infancy to college age Groups and classes are filled with little faces and smiles all over our campus today. And several of the routes that ran today, either with a van or a, a bus, picked up children today to bring them to church. And they'll enjoy themselves. And I'm thankful for that. I took time this morning when I got to the campus to, to walk into our kids' building and, and, and just pray a little bit. Then I walked to the other side and walked over to the teens in the other building and prayed a little bit. Then I walked over to the college and career and walked in there and prayed for our college students. And, and why? Because the next generation matters. If the church fails, if mom and dad fail to see the need of the local church and the importance in us in reaching that generation, then we will drop the ball. Many churches in our area, if you go in them today, many churches are filled with the senior saints. And that's wonderful. And we have a vibrant, they had an activity yesterday. The senior saints, they're always together and they're always busy. And I thank God for that. But if your church is just nothing but senior saints, you are a dying church. There ought to be young people everywhere. You say, I'm a little aggravated. There's young people everywhere. All, everywhere I go, I'm bumping into young people. Good. Good. I, I want a church that has young people. Why? Because that's the future of our nation. It's the future of our church. And listen, I want young people here because that is our hope. And we need to reach these young people. And we're in that Judges moment in, in Judges 2 where there rose another generation who not, knew not the Lord. The, the faithful generation died. Those forefathers died. And that other generation arose that did not know the Lord. That is such a scary verse for me because I have children coming and I want them to know the God that I know. And I want your children to know the God you know if you know the Lord. Statistically, we have a generation in the church who are walking away from the faith at a very rapid pace. They knew of the Lord, but did not, not, did not walk with the Lord. And I just want to preach to you just a simple message this morning, very simple, out of Deuteronomy 6 on how we can teach our children. Now, you have a responsibility. You say, Pastor, I don't have children. Somebody's child is looking to you. You, you, you may be an aunt, an uncle, a leader. You may be a group leader, a children's worker. You say, all I do is just check in kids. Good. We need more of you. One of our uh, ministry, we had a ministry fair last Sunday night and very successful. Oh, it was amazing. We signed up, I think, over 200 new uh, workers, which was 
incredible. But one of our ministry workers came to me and said, Pastor, just in our group, we signed over 40, we signed up 40 new volunteers. Now, I haven't talked to our kids' ministry staff yet, but can I tell you something? We need you say, Pastor, I don't know if I do well working with young people. I'm telling you right now, you might do better than you think, but it's better than you sitting on your blessed assurance doing nothing. Yeah. So, what do we do in De- Deuteronomy 6? How do we love and lead the next generation? Let me just start out by saying, look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 1. Well, let me, let me just say this before we get into the text. There's two, there's two areas where I've got to ask myself the question, theologically. What do we believe about children theologically? What does the Bible say? Well, I, I think the Bible makes it very clear that, that theologically, children are part of God's creation. You're looking at a pastor who is 100% anti-abortion. You would have think this is an Episcopal church. You're looking at a pastor who is 100% anti-abortion. And so should you. You're looking at a pastor who is 100% pro-life. That's not a political statement, that's a Bible statement. One of our representatives called me this week from the Capitol uh, pleading with us to be involved in this pro-life bill that's coming across the board, HB 399, something like that. He said, Pastor, I'm going to give you a staggering statistic about why we are in the shape we're in today. Can I give it to you? This is from his mouth. He said... This bill that's in the, in the state senate right now, or Congress, he said, this abortion bill that's, that, that they're, trying to, they're trying to do some things with abortion, though South Carolina is a real conservative state, they're trying to make it to where uh, there is some loopholes with, with abortion bills, where people could actually get abortions for different things. And he said, preacher, he said, I'm not making this up. This is literally the statistic. We have had 3,000 calls in our offices from from pro-abortion activists. 3,000. Just in the last, I don't know, couple weeks. He said, do you want to know how many calls we've actually got from the pro-life Christians? Now, he said this. I didn't say it. We've gotten three. Three. Three to 3,000. Now, we complain about our government officials not serving the people. But we as Christians have been silent way too long about this life this life bill and what when life begins and all these things. Listen, I just preached in Illinois just uh, this past week and Illinois has a law where they literally, if they try an abortion on a child and the, and the child survives and is born, the doctor can refuse to treat the child and let it die. That's infanticide. We're not talking about nine months now. They can literally have a baby die after nine months. 
it's not even safe in the womb for a child to be born in America anymore. It sure ain't safe outside the womb. School shootings, all-time high. Violence. I lived in near Chicago for four and a half years of my life. And listen, that's been over 20 years ago. And, and I would not take my family there today. Why? It's not adults killing adults. It's kids killing kids. Theologically, children are a part of God's creation. Hey, and we believe at Bible Baptist that children are a gift from God. They are a gift. My wife and I were privileged five months ago to receive a gift from the Lord. That was my precious baby boy. That was a surprise of all surprises. But we got three other gifts from the Lord and we should treat those gifts like they are special gifts. We should do everything that we can to teach them the Word of God, to get them under sound preaching, to worship with them, to pray with them. Why? Because we believe in loving and leading the next generation. Hey, they're, they're gifts from the Lord. And listen, I believe this, that the Bible teaches that children need nurtured and raised in the things of the Lord. They need it. I'm talking about from babies to adulthood. Here's the way I believe. If you get them early enough and you start teaching them and training them the things of God, by the time they get grown, we have a good shot. It's not a guarantee, but it's a good shot. Why? We preach the Word to them. We teach the Word to them. We live the Word. You've got to have that. And then when they become an adult, they know the Word. The young man this morning that met with me out here to tell me some of his testimony, he said, Preacher, when I got to a university, I sat in that, which, be careful where you send your kids. That's another sermon. But I sat in that classroom and everything that I had been taught from a child, that professor had deconstructed in just the matter of a few weeks of class. He had tore my faith all to pieces. And listen, I was questioning things that I'd heard from a child. I was questioning things and I, did, I realized that I was not grounded in the faith. I had no scripture to back up what I believed. And that's where we're missing it. We have all the gizmos, the gadgets. We give our kids iPads and phones. We give them video games. We give them cars. And they don't even know a verse about their salvation. If somebody asked you this morning, how do you know you're saved, what would you tell them? That's the reason why many of you doubt your salvation, is because you've never had it foundationally put in your heart. You're saved, but that's the reason why you walk around half the time in the mully grubs and no joy, no peace. Why? Because you have no foundational truth. You say, Pastor, you're preaching a little bit more passionate than usual. I'll tell you why. It, we're losing a generation. I don't want my son to walk away from the faith. I don't want my daughter to walk away from the faith. I don't want to have to stand up here and tell you that my son and my daughter is no longer a part of a church or no longer in church. Why? Because it's dear to my heart. Matter of fact, I would resign this church today to keep my family in the will of God and in church. I would. That family that I have is my first ministry, not Bible Baptist Church. I'm not going to lose my family for the sake of ministry. You don't have to. But I want them to know, listen, this is more important. What I'm teaching to you today is more important than what you think. 
Your kids are not a throwaway. Your kids is everything you've got. And it matters. So theologically, we believe these things. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 14, but Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. We're living in days where society believes it's okay to murder a child inside the womb. Outside the mother's wombs, these children are, are, are they're not safe at all. Violent games and crimes and, and social media and many other things are no longer safe for our children. So if that's the theological approach that we have, is that this is a foundational principle, then what is the method? What are we going to do for our children? What will we do? We know that they're important. We know that God has put a great emphasis on children. Then what is the method? Well, we've went through great strides here at Bible Baptist to have many programs for your kids. And actually in January, we're going to change up the format a little bit and have more to offer for your children and your teenagers. Matter of fact, our teens yesterday went to Carowinds and had a great time. And I love the fun aspect of it. But you understand, a, a youth program is not just about fun. A youth program that's not teaching your kids the Bible is not really a program at all. So method, the methods in which we use get them to church and around God's people, get them to a kid's class and a program every week, every week. Listen, I, I may make some of you upset with me, but that's okay. You probably already are. Let me just say this. Don't let your children dictate your church attendance. I'm going to say something real controversial, but if it busts your bubble, it does. Travel ball has been a detriment to the local church. If I teach my children how to play ball and they turn out to be a great athlete, but I fail to teach my child the doctrines of the Word of God and the faith, I have failed as a parent. I watched my son Friday night play high school football and and started, and boy, I cheered him on. Great game. We won. I love it. All them games are great when you win. And we had a good time. But can I say this? I'd much rather watch him serve the Lord. I'd much rather watch him serve Jesus than play football. Football ends next year. I've been trying to call these scouts like, hey, man, I got one over here. They never do come, Jake. I'm sorry, buddy. We've got to do better on sending videos or something. I'm not sure. That's not my goal for him. That's not his goal. I asked him, I said, man, would you ever think about playing somewhere at a small college? Was, I mean, this was years ago. He said, Dad, I have no interest playing college ball. He loves high school ball. He's been playing since third grade. He enjoys it. That's not a goal. We're already talking about plans after school. We're talking about why? Because what really matters is called life. We got people today that should be in church today. Guess where they're at? They're, they're following kids playing ball. Leaders. It's broke my heart for years. Broke my heart for years what's happened. How, you say, Pastor, I, I don't know if you... I, I'm going to say it because it's in the Bible. We have forsook the assembling of ourselves together. And by the way, that involves children. 
I'm for your family taking a vacation. I'm for you getting your kids out of town and just having a good time. I'm for you doing that. Take a family. But listen, family day ought to be the Lord's day. Amen. Boy, I'm a whole lot, I don't know, more passionate in the 11 o'clock service. I just discovered that. These, Deuteronomy chapter 6. That was introduction. The message is not near as long. Now these are the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whether ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God and keep all thy statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee. Now this is a... This is commands. This is, not, this is not a suggestion. He's telling Israel, his children, God's children, he's saying, if you'll do these things, you, you will have blessings upon blessings. He says, that it may be well with thee that ye may increase mightily. Well, that's a good thing. As the Lord God of the fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Boy, that's a good start, isn't it? Seems like we have many gods in America. And here, and by the way, in the Bible times, in the Old Testament, Israel was so prone to worshiping a false god. And, and here our God is saying, there is only one God and His name is Lord. He's Lord over all. He is preeminent. He is God. Now notice, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God, verse 5, with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That would solve a lot of our problems if we just love Jesus. Amen. Oh, my. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk with them of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon my, thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. The first thing I want to bring to you this in loving and leading the next generation is we should first, according to verse number 6, we should, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. We should teach convincingly. We should teach convincingly. Kids can spot phonies right away. And we should literally teach them and convince them that this life is the best life. And that the doctrines that's in the Word of God are literally God's Word. This is God's inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. And when you, believe, when you start to doubt this, you'll doubt everything. Listen, let's not be a phony. We ought to convince our children that we have the real thing. See what confuses a child? You know what confuses a child? It doesn't matter if they're a little kid or a teenager. What confuses a child is when you live one way in public and you live another way at home. Dads, clean your language up. Clean your private life up. Clean it up. Because let me tell you something, you're not fooling anybody. 
You may fool the preacher. Hey, you may fool me for a while, and you may fool some of your, your, your fellow congregants and, and, and church attendees and people, but can I tell you, those who go home with you, they know the real you. This is going over like screen doors on a submarine. But let me just say this. We need it. You say, I don't like it. Good. That's probably an indication that we're preaching the Bible. There's parts of this I don't like either. But I know that we ought to convince. I want my son to turn out. I want my sons to turn out for God. And listen, try having a baby now. Hey, think about it. 17 years ago, society wasn't near as bad. But we're still having children. And I'm looking at my babies and I'm thinking, what did I do? I brought this little one into this world that cannot even define what a man or a woman is. Much less who Jesus is. We have got problems, so the only hope for my kid is not the public education. My hope, even the hope for my children is not Christian education. My hope for my children is the local New Testament church and a faith-based, solid Christian home. Teach them convincingly. Number two, teach them creatively. Look at verse number 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Teach them creatively. Be creative on how you teach God's Word. See, God's Word must be taught creatively. Unfortunately, many believers have this idea that you must sit still while I instill. Well, on Sunday morning, I, I do like it when you sit there and you kind of, you know, listen and all. But do you understand that your children, they're all different. And they learn things differently, right? They just do. So why is it that we believe there's only one way to teach the Word of God to them? No, there's many ways. I love involving music with children. You know what? I learned a lot of Scripture by song. Growing up, people would put little scripture verses to songs, and I would literally memorize them. And listen, I'm a middle-aged, mid-40s guy that can still sing some of the songs that I learned at five and six and seven years old. Why? They were ingrained in me. And some of you can do the same thing. Videos about the Lord. Songs about the Lord. Teaching in different ways. about. Remember the old flannel graphs? How many of you, so this generation don't even know what a flannel graph is. They think flannel is something you wear. No, I'm talking about the flannel graph that you put up here and, and, and you would move them and they had the Velcro in the back. And oh my goodness, I wanted to get up there when I was a kid and try to rearrange everything and, you know, do all that. But, but them teachers that taught me from a flannel graph that we look at now and say, oh, that's so cheesy. Let me tell you something. A lot of those things I still remember. Even then, I'm talking about in the early 80s, they were trying to be creative. And I'm sure the, the flannel graphs go back to the 70s and the 60s. And they were trying to impact a generation for the Lord. And we somehow have stopped. We just, we're in a video game age right now. There are some young people that I've only seen the top of their head since I've been their pastor. Like, that's how I identify them. Does it, is there part in their hair this side, or is it in the middle? Or is it, why? Because I can't see their face because they're constantly looking down. And that's what they're used to. 
Hey, hey, Johnny, how's school? Good. What'd you learn today? Nothing. Hey, buddy. Hey, you want to talk? No. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, ah! Y'all, you can laugh all you want to. That's true. Y'all know I'm telling it right. Kid to behave in a restaurant. We got to set a 75-inch TV in front of him to... Here, Johnny, watch. Hey, listen, we've been guilty of it, too. I'd rather him do that and, you know, scream his head off and have to leave. I want to eat. You know what I mean? But here's what we're raising. Listen, we are raising a generation who they've, they've got a attention span of like 10 minutes. And you get up there and you're like, oh, they're done. They're like, nah, I listen to that. Oh, man. Oh, 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 oh. You know, and they're just like, no, I'm not. You got to be creative with this young people. Let me tell you something. They want you to have some fire. They want you to have some life. They want you to teach it. And so, hey, there's a time to be all somber, but it's not in a teen class. It's not in. It's not in youth program. You got to be crazy. You got to teach the word of God. Hey, I was a youth pastor 14 years. That's what happened to this. I revert to that every now and then. Number three, we teach consistently. Look at Deuteronomy 7. I'm, I'm hastening. Look, to teach the, uh, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. That word diligently in that first phrase, it actually is a translated in the word consistently. The prophet Isaiah, he kind of gives us in Isaiah 28, he said precept upon precept upon precept, line upon line, and here a little and there a little. What was Isaiah saying? And I think Isaiah 28, he's saying, you know what? We ought to be consistent in the way we train and teach the next generation. Listen, uh, you leaders, I know a lot of them are down there right now, and a lot of them on Sunday mornings are tied up in youth ministry and uh, toddlers and different things. But can I say this? Be consistent. Man, don't be there for two weeks and disappear for four and come back for two and then come back for one and, and then you're gone. These kids are like, man, we're so-and-so. They see you and they need you to be consistent in their life because a lot of these kids that's coming to our church, you're the only thing consistent. They don't have consistency. There's a lot of parents and homes and single moms and single dads and, and messed up situations and the consistency is with their local church. Be consistent. Number four, teach not only creativity, uh, number four, uh, or consistency, but then teach conversationally. Look at, look at verse 7. It says, And thou shalt teach them diligently and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. Thou shalt talk of them, a conversation. That includes how we talk to our children, not just instruct them, but I love to talk about, Here, here's a good thing, parents, teachers, leaders, after a Sunday morning down at junior church, or, and we're going to restructure a lot of things, but after your kids have been in teen church or Awanas or, or Sunday morning or whatever they're in, how about hold the conversation with them, what did you learn today? Like a lot of times your kids will jump in the car and you, you haven't asked them nothing about church. It was like you went to Walmart. No, no, no. We come to church to learn. How do you know there was a problem? What if there was a problem? You never ask your children, hey, how was school today? Do you ever ask your children how was school? 
Every day that I pick my daughter up, Colby, I'll pick Colby up from school, and uh, I'll ask her when she gets in the car, the first thing, hey, sweetie, how was school today? Because I want to know if she got picked on. Because we're going to park it and we're getting out now. I mean, <laughs> son, I'm going to town. They ain't never seen. I'll do some Judy chopping. How was school today? What did you learn today? What, what was your faith? What was that? And boy, she'll just go to town about this. And uh, can you believe this? And oh, tomorrow's this day. And, and, and I love it. But here's the deal. We'll do that Monday through Friday with the school. But then on Sunday, get in. It's time to eat. Where do you want to eat? Oh, this, bro. Oh, I can't believe it. I don't like that. We ate that last week. Nothing about God. Nothing about church. Nothing about any of that. Listen, get in the car and talk to them about the Word of God. I about, listen, a few uh, months ago, or uh, it hadn't been that long, but it was back in the summertime. I, one day, Jake was sitting at the kitchen table, and, and it was a, I can't remember exactly what the conversation came up, but then the Bible came up. And then it was what uh, somebody had preached. And we started talking about what that person had preached. I think it was a Tuesday night service in August about what somebody had preached. And we held, and man, I was, about, I was like, man, I love this. Let's not stop this. Because we were actually having a conversation about the book of Acts or about something going on. And we were just talking about it. And, and he knew more than I thought he knew. And I was like, yes. He'd look the other way. He's like, glory. Why? Because I want my kids to know the Bible. Talk with them. That's, that's a great way. And then lastly is this. Teach conspicuously. Look at verse number 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between their eyes. Making God's commandments frontlets between their eyes. This was something the Pharisees actually took, binding them on their hands. That's what the Pharisees actually in the New Testament, they put stuff on their forehead and, bound things to the... That's not really what the Lord or what God was actually meaning for Israel. I believe it was more of let this be in your mind and let this be on your hands. And yes, in a literal sense there was, but it wasn't for you just to walk around with Scripture between your eyes and, and, and Scripture bound on your hand. It was for you to control your actions and for you to control your mind. Because then he says in verse 9... And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and thy gates. When I went to Israel a couple years ago, you get right into Tel Aviv, you walk into the airport, right on the post of the airport is exactly this. They put the scripture right there. All the houses that you see, a lot of the houses and businesses, when you walk in, there's scripture mounted to the post. They still do this today. There's still some of those Rabbinical people over there, the priests and different ones, they still have stuff written on their forehead and things bound to their hands. Why? They're taking this literal. But here's the deal. Us Christians, we should take this in a literal sense too. No, I don't want you walking around with Scripture on your forehead and bound to your hand. People may look at you different, but you ought to have it in your mind and in your actions. Hey, moms... I remember as a child growing up and my mother had scripture all through the house. Just, just Bible verses. It was a white with black print and would have a black frame and she'd hit, hang it on the wall. I remember the, 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 uh, the front door of my house had a gold 
placard on the front, and it said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was on the front door. I remember those things. I remember sitting at my grandma's table, my grandmother, she's in heaven now, Grandma Bragg, my mother's mother. I remember sitting at my grandma's table and looking up at a picture. Lee, can you, can you hand me that picture right there on the end, right underneath my jacket there? This picture right here, I brought it from my office this morning. How many of you remember this picture? See, the older generation, you ain't going to find this in modern houses unless they took it from their grandparents. This picture of the man with praying hands, blessing his meal, and of course he got through with his, with his studies over here, and he's praying. This hung above my grandmother's. My, I never met my grandpa. He died a drunkard in, at the age of 52 or 3, lived a rough life. She was saved. My grandmother was saved, old-timey Methodist, and she got saved by a circuit-riding preacher, was preaching. and She got saved as a little girl in an old pot-belly stove building there, white A-frame Methodist church, and knows God. And she introduced me to Bill Gaither. She used to, I'd say, Mama, I'd like, or Grandma, I'd like to watch some cartoons. She says, no, we're going to watch Glory and Bill Gaither. And I'm like, really? And she sat over there and wiped tears as she watched the Gaither sing. And I didn't understand it at the time. I thought, man, this is crazy. I'd much rather watch G.I. Joe's or, you know, something like that. And I'd much rather watch, but at the time, I didn't realize how precious it was. But then uh, when my grandmother died about 15, 16 years ago, my mom called me. She said, uh, she said well, I was going to the funeral. She said, I've got uh, Grandma's house open. And she said, you know, she wanted you grandkids to take some things of hers. And, and I said, Mom, I said, the only thing that I want of Grandma's is that picture that hung above her table, that reminded me that this is what these old generation, they were firm in their beliefs. My grandmother knew God. My grandmother raised my mother who loves God and not a more precious woman in the world, loves God. And listen, I want this for my children. Oh, not just to hang a picture up and never recognize it. I want them to go through our home and say, you know what? And they're an adult years later and they go through and they say, uh, boy, I remember that. I remember Dad saying that. I, you walk through our house now and you'll see little pieces of Scripture on little things. Go to Hobby Lobby. Buy a bunch of stuff over there and just hang them in there. Hey, why? Because your children will walk through one day and say, man, I remember my mama having that. Boy, she loved God. Are we missing that today? I think we're raising a generation today that wants to be friends with their kids. And there's nothing wrong with being friends with your kids. They ought to have a friend in you. But you don't have to dress like them. Oh, Lord. You don't have to dress like them. You don't have to talk like them. And you can still be cool. You don't have to go and just say, yeah, we're just, I'm trying to you know, relate to my kids. No, you don't have to relate on their level. Just show them Jesus. Be real. Like, go to church with them. And Daddy, let me just say, when your kids are watching you worship, that's about what they're going to do. Mama, when your children are watching you worship and pray and, and, and thank God for the... Hey, let me just say this and I'm done. You taking your kids to the ball field every week, you may, you may make some memories, but I promise you the memories that last are not going to be on that ball field. 
It's not. I played ball my whole life. I did. I played. I loved it. All my, I think there's a lot of lessons to learn in ball. I'm not anti-ball. I love it. I watched it last night. I cheered for my team. I love it. I'll watch it Friday. I'll watch it anytime you want to. But when your kids and when you know more statistics in the NBA and NFL and college football than you do Bible, we drop the ball somewhere. I love to hunt. I love it. I spent time there yesterday. I love it. But when we can show videos of this and that and show, oh, this is what we're doing, boy, I'm talking, let me tell you about this story, and we know nothing really about God at all, we have got it all wrong. And if Bible Baptist Church is going to lead the next generation, we're going to have to do it. And as we close, I want to give you those three things again. Here's my advice to you. And by the way, I'm still learning this. I stand... Listen, I'm raising children, so please don't misunderstand me. Mine could go crazy. But it's not going to be because I did not get them under preaching. Well, you're the one preaching. I am now... But most of their life, I was sitting under preaching. And it was still very important. And by the way, I want them to love preaching no matter who's preaching. Get them under sound preaching every way. Number two, live in private what you are in public. And then number three, invest time, energy, and finances into reaching the next generation. It will cost you. It will cost you. It's going to cost this church to reach a generation. It's already cost us. You think about it. Why did we buy this building last year? Well, we, were, we needed room. Looks like we need room again. A lot. But I also had something in mind for that campus down there. Those kids needed space. We cannot invest too much into the next generation because the world is... Billions and billions and trillions of dollars is going into all kinds of things. We should reach the next generation as a church. And it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us energy. And it's going to cost us finances. But we've got to make a commitment. Your kids and my kids. Listen. I'll be an old man by the time I see my little one walk the platform to get a diploma or to watch him get married. I'll be old. I'll be on a cane. I don't know if I'll be that old, but I'll be old. But you know what I I love about this? Is your pastor is not going to lose focus of the needs of our youth ministries. Now, I'll have some that they'll be gone and, you know, I'll be focused in on them, maybe in their marriages and all that. But then I'll have one behind me calling me daddy, pulling on my pants, hugging me around the legs, jumping up in the truck with me. And I want him loving Jesus for many years at Bible Baptist Church. I want him to grow up with your kids and hear the same preaching and teaching that your children hear. And by the way, it's a great way to grow a church. You ought to think about it. Oh, that's, that'll take the air out of the air. Some of you are like, oh, Lord, no, not that. Well, let me just say this. We, as a church, need to love and lead the next generation. 
Amen. Let's pray.